Welcome to the Reach the Stars podcast. I'm your host, John Willoughby Lore, and today my guest is one of my favorite people from all time, my friend Lionel Nazario. He is living in Brooklyn right now. Um, he's an author, uh, a martial arts teacher, a health coach, a small time actor, um, previous model. I'm going to throw that in there. Um, <laughs> loves philosophy, law, organic bacon, and camping out in the woods, um, among other things. Um, and, uh, one thing I definitely want to add is that of all the people in the entire world, like most people that know me know that I'm like a passionate, excitable individual. Um, the only person in the world that is on par with my passionate excitability <laughs> is this guy right here. So, um, when the two of us get together, it's like, you know, that's right. Watch out. Yes, we have some, we have some some pretty intense conversations. So, um, without further ado, I was wondering if you would like to tell everyone a little bit more about you and where you come from. Sure, sure. Thank you, Jana. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me here. I'm I'm excited, you know, for the future that that you've got going on. Um, well, I you know I've walked an interesting road, uh, which you know gave me some interesting perspective on a lot of things, uh, you know, that are that are going on now and and the lead up to it all. Um, so I, um, yeah, I started off on Long Island as a little kid, and then my parents had the bright idea to get us out of there. So, uh, so I went up to uh, the Finger Lakes area, upstate New York, and um, you know that's that's where I spent my youth running around doing different things. And um, I mean, what can I say? You know, the the, the small town life has um, has a different set of experiences for for a person, especially a person who likes to live a little bit outside of the normal bounds. Uh, you know, a place like, you know, cities such as Buffalo or New York is, is obviously going to be a bit more tolerant of, uh, you know, personal weirdness, uh, than, you know, than a little place like Watkins Glen, which is, which is where I, you know, found myself going to school as I got a little older. Um, so, you know, without getting too deep into it, I mean, I'm sure you'll have questions. Uh, you know, the road led me back to New York and, um, uh, you know, I've seen and done a lot of interesting things along the way. I mean, I've been blessed with opportunities to do, you know, the different things that you've mentioned. Uh, you know, no, no offense to anybody who's got one singular passion or career path and they're totally into it. But, I, you know, I'm a little schizo. I like to do a lot of different things. You know, I like to sit down and read the books. I also like to hit things and throw weights around, you know. So, you know, New York has enabled me to do that. So for if, if for nothing else, I'm, I'm grateful for that because, I, yeah, I have... I've had some fun experiences over the years. Yeah. yeah. I think that's part of why we get along so well is that both of us are not just like, this is the one thing that we do. And um, it's just kind of like, we both have that same kind of personality. Like, Oh, I can do this a little while. I can do that a little while. Let's do all these things at the same time. Um, Absolutely. Take yes. the rainbow, you know, come on. Exactly. <laughs> um, so full disclosure, we used to date a really long time ago. Um, and we good met dates too. Hmm? I said good dates too. Oh yeah. All good dates. Yeah. Oh, you're like my favorite ex. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank really, you. Thank you. Fun, so it's just like, Oh, that's cool. You know, um, it was great. We had, we had great times. Um, and we met in a, a random circumstance where you were working at a coffee shop with a mm. friend of mine and she was getting out of work and she's like, we should go and, and hang out. Um, and when I got out of work, I'm like, yeah, totally. Let's go hang out. And she's like, yeah, there's this guy that I work with and uh, he wants to come hang out with us. Can he come too? I'm like, yeah, sure. Whatever. And 
So I meet up with her and you come riding up on your bike. And at this point in my life, I was really feeling like defeated about myself. Um, and I, I was just out of like a really long, super crappy relationship that um, made me feel like I wasn't a worthy person. Um, and I had spent my entire like teenage years of my life chasing after guys who didn't like me. Um, and it, it was tough to like always feel like I was like wanting people who didn't want me back. And it, it, play, it takes a toll on somebody's psyche to like live in that zone. Um, and the relationship that I had been in, he cheated on me while he was living in my house and I had to like throw him out. It was like a big thing. So this is like the first summer that I was actually like me as an adult, I had just turned 20 and I was like, I, I am reclaiming myself in this world. Um, and this is like early in the summer. I think it was like May, maybe early June, like right around your birthday. And you come riding up to my house on your bike. And I was like, are you shitting me right now? (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, at the time we have to, we have to preface this. So at the time you were on work release. I did not know. That's right. You were on work release and yeah, there's backstory to that for sure. Yes. We're going to get, we're going to get into some of that backstory. Um, but, um, part of being on work release was where you were before you were on work release. So you let, let's just say you, you were a little bit, you were a little bit stacked, like just a little bit. And I had spare time on my hands. A lot of spare time on my hands. So, um, for me, I was just like, who is this person? This is crazy. Um, I'm going to go for this (laughs) and the rest of these days history. Um, and I think a big part of my superhero stage persona, when I get up and I perform for people and like feeling kind of invincible and like I could, you know, have anything, take anything and like really like grab life by the horns, um, is all because of the experiences that we had together. So I'm like super grateful for the times that, that we spent together. Um, and I am too. I'm wondering if you'll tell everyone a little bit about um, what brought you to that point uh, in our lives. Yeah, gladly, gladly. Um, which, you know, real quick before I dive into that, I will have you know, you know, I'm not sure if I ever really shared this with you. I probably not at the time because it's only something I really realized reflecting on it. But, you know, that time in Buffalo was, was uh, you know, sort of a time of self-realization for me too. Um, it was one thing to be in good shape. Like I, you know, I, I was fine with myself, but it's another thing to then realize like, huh, actually I'm, I'm in such a good place that other people are really appreciating me too. That was kind of new. You know, I didn't get that kind of appreciation in my hometown. Um, so, you know, that was kind of new and, and, uh, you know, definitely helped uh, me to form that, you know, as you put it, you know, sort of superhero stage persona, which I think is a super useful thing for anybody to have. I mean, we should all have a little superhero in our pocket, in my opinion. So, yeah, I'm, I'm so honored to have played a part in you realizing that about yourself. And, and, you know, I was sort of figuring that out, too, at the time. So, yeah, those were good times. And so what, what brought me there? Yeah, good question. Uh, you know, this will be, uh, uh, I'll make it brief, but, you know, this will be a tale that a lot of people have heard before, sadly, because it's pretty common, you know, some of the. Uh, some of the injustices that, that brought me to that place. But I, I honestly have no regrets. And, and, you know, maybe we'll touch upon that at the end. So once upon a time, I found myself really interested in hallucinogens. And 
just to put that in perspective, what had happened was I realized as a teenager when I was in high school, I realized that I was being lied to. And, and this is one of the reasons why I do not advocate parents lie to their kids for any reason. If there's something you can't tell your kids, you just tell them, hey, you know what? I can't tell you because, you know, say why. Because it'll hurt grandma's feelings because you're just too young to really grasp this yet. But I'll tell you when you're older. What, whatever you need to tell them, but don't freaking lie to them. That includes Santa Claus. That's my personal opinion. But don't lie to the kids, anybody. Don't lie to the kids. Because if you mess up that trust, they may start looking for truth on their own terms. And, and it can lead to dangerous places. Thank God I came out of it all right. But I realized I was being lied to. All drugs are bad and they'll kill you and make you unemployed was basically the party line at the time in the 90s. Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, like the fried egg in the pan. All day. Yeah, the fried egg in the pan. This is your brain on drugs. Right? So when I realized as a teenager that that was a load of BS, or at minimum, an oversimplification of a complicated subject. Mm -hmm. I started looking for the truth. And, you know, so I started looking into hallucinogens and I had, uh, you know, and I had an opportunity to try LSD once. And it was a, it was a mind blowing experience. I mean that in a positive way. I'll be the first one to admit that it's extremely powerful and things that are powerful, like guns, fire and LSD (laughs) need to be treated with respect and, and, used very, very carefully. Uh, but with that having been said, I was interested. So uh, long story short, I started, uh, started selling it locally, friends, people that I knew. And um, well, let's just say that I, I got blown in by a so-called friend who set me up to get himself out of trouble. Which happened. I mean, I knew what I was doing. I was 19 years old. I was old enough to know what I was doing uh, to an extent. I did not realize that my ex-girlfriend's older brother who was the district attorney in this small town (laughs) i did not realize that he really had it out for me uh so when these charges came in you know he pursued them very aggressively and i'd like to take a moment to talk about the charges because this is a society lesson that i think it's really important that people understand you know what what has happened in certain places and i'm speaking about new york state which some people know, I know, I know, you know, John, of the Rockefeller drug laws that were put into effect back in the seventies uh, and in pretty much full effect until um, I want to say it was about 2008 or so when, when they got rolled back significantly. So these Rockefeller drug laws, they're, they're named after the former governor in New York, Nelson Rockefeller, but that's my opinion. Anyway, so, <laughs> so they set up mandatory minimums for people that had drug charges. And what that effectively did was it took away the judgment power of judges, right? Like a judge is supposed to, you know, shockingly judge a situation and, and then pass a judgment based off of, you know, different factors. Well, the mandatory minimums made it so that if you were caught selling a certain amount of a substance, you, there's no need for exercising judgment. We got it right here in a chart for you that tells you how many years you must give this person. So that's how I found myself as a, as a 19 year old, just turned 20, uh, first time offender, nonviolent, right? I wasn't even making good money off of this. I was doing this because I wanted people to try LSD and get enlightened. I mean, it sounds stupid, maybe, but that's what I was thinking. I was 19. What can I say? <laughs> so I got charged with an A2 felony. Now, for people who don't know how the legal system, you know, penal law goes, premeditated murder, that'll get you an A1. Second degree murder, that'll get you an A2. Selling LSD 
in the quantities that I was selling, it will also apparently get you an A2. Rape, on the other hand, no matter how severe, that's a B. So just for a little perspective, right? Again, this is New York State. It may be different in other places. But when I learned that, um, I got pretty pissed off. Because I know what I did was illegal, but I know that it wasn't rape. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and like it, it shouldn't be one tiny step away from premeditated murder. You know, outlandish stuff, outlandish stuff. So, you know, that was educational for me. Um, but anyway, so, you know, I go through the, uh, you know, I go through the system and I, I, you know, I got a three to nine, three to nine years. And this was a step down. It was supposed to be five to 15 years. Step down was three to nine years. So that, anyway, that was my sentence. And I, you know, got the, got the pleasure of hopping around the uh, New York State uh, correctional system. Uh, well, I learned a lot. And as we were talking about earlier, you know, I had this, all this time on my hands and, and there came a day where I said, you know, it would be a shame if I was here for a few years and came out exactly the same way or, or worse, that would be a crying shame. And, uh, you know, a lot of wisdom in there. I have to say for all of the ignorance and, and all of the stupidity that does take place in the, in the prison system, a lot of wisdom, a lot of, a lot of sharp people. And I remember there's this one man, rather large African fella. And he said, you know, you can, you can do something with the time or you can let the time do you. I mean, I may have screwed that up slightly, but I understood what he was saying. I'm going to be here regardless. So what am I going to do with that time? So anyway, so I started working out, reading books and, uh, you know, <laughs> found myself on the other side of it on work release in Buffalo, where I met your wonderful self and, and you know, and had a lot of interesting bike rides in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and for, for me, it was funny because at, at that time in my life, because I was just out of something that was like super, super serious, I was like excited to have something that in my brain, I was like, Oh, this is cool. Like, this is just going to be like a fling. I've never had a fling in my entire life. And I was like, Oh, this is gonna be cool. It'll be like a fling. Like, I don't even care if he's, if he's smart or whatever, like this is gonna be fun. And the first time we actually hung out, like just the two of us, and I was like, holy shit, like this guy is not any of those things that like your, at the time, your current appearance was like, people would see you and be like, yo, who's that guy? You know what I mean? It was just like, totally. Yeah. The joke that I used to make to people was, I'm like a girl with large breasts. You know, people don't see anything but the muscles, you know? (laughs) You gotta gotta get past that. Yeah, Yeah. muscles, you know, like, yeah, Yeah. for sure. Um, and so for me, it was just really interesting to think I was in a mindset that I was like, oh, this is going to be like meaningless. And then like within one day of hanging out, I was like, not meaningless. Super cool. This is going to be really fun. Um, and I'm really, really glad that I like got ballsy and asked you out. It was funny. Um, <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I remember where I was too when you called me. It's funny because I, you know, I didn't expect that at all. I was, I was actually at my parents' house, you know further east i wasn't in buffalo that weekend and uh you're like hey we should hang out i'd love to but i'm in scala county right now you know but yeah (laughs) yeah i do remember that i do remember that um and so we had great times that whole summer um and then you got your work release switched i don't even remember what the circumstances were for that but it got switched out in buffalo is really what happened they gave me six months in buffalo and then i had to go back yeah so you ended up out um, near where your, your parents' house was, um, 
And through like totally crazy, random, stupid circumstance, um, unintentionally like violated your, your parole and got thrown back in jail. That's um, right. Yeah. Without any warning. Right. Yeah. So that's another trap that, you know, I think it would be safe to say that flawed systems are subject that's in the air right now. Right. <laughs> so let's talk flawed systems, you know, uh, you know, the work release system is, it's a neat idea, but you know, it's inherently flawed. I mean, like the entire, uh, you know, criminal justice system it, it's got some serious flaws. And so focusing on this one, yeah, as you said, here I am, I'm on work release. I'm expected to work. I mean, that you know, you have to work on work release. That's how it goes. In Buffalo, no problem. Walking distance, there's buses, right? I, I go back to uh, upstate New, you know, New York, excuse me, upstate New York, rural area, no buses. I'm not allowed to drive. That's one of the provisions uh, of, of my release is no license, no driving. What a challenge. What a challenge. So, you know, yeah, did I did I unintentionally violate? No, I very much intentionally was driving to work. <laughs> but it was either violate by driving to work or violate by not going to work. Uh, you know, there's no way to get there. Like, there was no, there was no Uber. Yeah. Thank you. Right. Nowadays, maybe. But there was no Uber. There were, there were literally no options. There were literally no options. Both my parents had jobs. There, there were literally no options. So I did what I had to do. But anyways, yes, you're right. So, uh, you know, parole, Department of Parole, you know, work release, they found out that I was driving around and, and pulled me back in. Yeah, you know, it was um, it was pretty aggravating. It's pretty aggravating. And, I, you know, and I know that, you know, I'm not the only one that this happens to. I mean, I, I'm, I'm certain that this happens all the time. And, uh, you know, and it really is it's such an injustice because although I was able to rise above it because I had good friends who came and wrote me letters and visited me and stuff like that, and I had good family that stuck around, uh, you know, through these, these challenging times. And I was wise enough to be patient and understand that, like, oh, yeah, this sucks and this is not fair, but it does have a sunset, you know what I mean? And so, you know, I just kind of had to hold out for that. But, yeah, incredible mistreatment on, on many, you know, coming from many different angles in that system. I, I It really seems that their intention is not so much to help people back into society as it is to really just control people and, uh, and, uh, you know, and that's it. I mean, I hate to say it like that, but that was my experience. Yeah. You know, nonsense type of stuff work, but don't drive, you know, nonsense. Yeah. Especially that like for a minor violation, such as driving yourself to work, like there, there was no wiggle room in there for you to say, like, I'm only just trying to, you know, fulfill yeah. going to work like in only any way that I can. Um, yep. that's, the amount of time that they put you back in for was almost as long as your initial sentence before they let you out in the first place. So it was like almost as much time for driving yourself home from work as it was like selling an entire vial of acid to an undercover cop. Like that they were the, the same amount of time behind bars. Yeah. Um, and that's crazy. That's just how it happened to work out in my situation. Um, you know, obviously if it was, you know, if it was something else, it might not have, you know, lined up so evenly, but yeah, how crazy is that? As it turned out, time I spent before was very similar to the time I spent after. Yeah. Ludicrous stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Ludicrous. So, you know, I'm, I'm definitely, uh, an advocate, uh, you know, as vocal as I can manage, 
you know, for, for a total reform of the whole system there. I mean, I, I, so, you know, you mentioned one of the things I love is philosophy and law and, uh, so, so a philosophy of law, another way of saying that is jurisprudence. I'm a huge fan of American jurisprudence, and which is really just a way of saying that I actually love the American system of law uh, and government as it was originally conceived. And I, and I really think that, you know, having been through the ringer and, and having been, uh, you know, we were talking about ethnicity last night. I mean, you know, I, I'm a mutt in so many different ways. I got so many different things going on. I've been discriminated against because people thought I was Hispanic. I've been discriminated against because people thought I was pure white bread. I mean, so I've seen it from many different angles. Um, the flaw is not actually in the design of the system. The flaw is in the execution and the application and the people that get involved. Um, you know, we don't actually have the justice system and even the political system. We don't actually have what we're supposed to have according to the original design. Uh, so I think that's really important for people that are, you know, whatever part of the struggle you're involved in, recognize that it's not a flaw in the original concept. It's a flaw in execution. You know, all men are supposed to be created equal. Now, did they forget maybe women? Yes. Did they not actually, you know, give equal rights to every man? Yes. But the idea was, was on the mark. So yeah, we really need to just clean out the garbage. You know, we actually, it's a great concept that's been trod through the mud. You know? Exactly. Like the, I think the intentions um, have power to create a new normal that is equitable and fair for everyone. I mean, like it, <laughs> the foundations of America on paper sounds so great. It sounds so great. Yeah. Um, yeah. And um I think we do have potential to um, become a new normal. Um, it's just going to take a whole lot of work and a whole lot of hope from a lot of people. Um, yeah. And, you know, like there is with any, with any um, movement. Um, I, have, I have a poem that I wrote um, that's like a poem or a song or whatever, played with the band. Um, and it's about Black Lives Matter, but the one verse of it, it says, now a movement has been born. So, of course, there's got to be resistance. Um, but that's how you know you're gaining ground to make change. You got to be persistent. Um, and I think that that's just like such a valid lesson for the entire world that um, just because something currently is against the law doesn't mean that law is right and that you shouldn't fight against it. And that, you know, for instance, that it was like totally fine for a cop to kneel on some guy's neck as far as like what they were allowed to do. And now they're like, maybe that's wrong. And now they're like, maybe we should not have that be a thing that's allowed. And, um, and I think, you know, of all of the things that the founders of this country wrote on paper, our right to protest and rise up against the, the laws of our system when, they're not serving our people is the most important thing that they wrote in there that we all have, you know, right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And if that life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness doesn't apply to black people, that doesn't apply to trans people, that doesn't apply to anyone who feels othered, like, then it's. Equal protection like, under the law is, is, I mean, there's no, there's no debating that that should be a thing. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, you know, we, we have a long road on our way to, you know, this imaginary land called perfection. But yeah, you know, we, we've got to see where there's room for improvement, especially when it's simple. You know, like, uh, you know, like I think of the same sex marriage thing. 
is an example I like to give people because you know, and this is where our system isn't working the way it's supposed to work. It's been corrupted. You know, this is a nation that was actually founded on a, uh, the foundation is common law, right? There's different systems of law in the world. I won't go deep down the rabbit hole on it, but if you were to get online and search systems of law in the world, you know, you'd find you have this thing called common law, the foundation in certain places and, and America's one of them. And it really what it boils down to is you're not supposed to harm other people, right? And everyone is supposed to be treated equally. Uh, it, it's super simple stuff. But when you see something that doesn't conform to that, we, we should all be like, wait a minute, what's going on there? So what is marriage? Well, marriage is a legal contract. Okay, well, it's a legal contract between two people who want to merge their households and lives and, and, and do it sort of under the umbrella of, of the state so that they can share certain benefits, health and death benefits and yada, 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 right? It's just a legal thing. It has nothing to do with God or, or the lack thereof. It, it, it has nothing to do. It, it's a state thing. It's a legal arrangement. It's a contract. So how could we not offer that to people regardless of, of their arrangement? You know what I mean? Like if you wanted to merge your possessions with your donkey, why not? So if a man and a man want to merge their possessions, why not? It's a legal contract. There should never even have been half the debate on that, that there was, uh, frankly. So, I mean, I use that as an example just to show how we're running around the mulberry bush for no reason. Stop already. They want a contract. Are you going to give them a contract or not? Easy. You know what I mean? It's ridiculous. We shouldn't even waste the time talking about that. Obviously, they can do that. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> You're getting all fired up. I love it. Uh, you know, stupidity kills me. What can I say? Okay. So uh, I want to fast forward a little bit. Uh, yeah. And I want you to talk about what you have been doing more recently. Yeah. Since you, since you have become yeah. an official free man. Um, yeah. But before, before we get on that, I, I wanted to ask you that as a, as a prior A2 felon, are you currently allowed to vote? Negative. Now, I will, I will say that that is by choice, though. Um, I could jump through various hoops that the state would like me to jump through in order to get my, uh, I forget what it's called. I want to say it's called a certificate of good conduct. Um, but anyway, there's a process that you can go through whereby you can get, you know, certain civil rights restored among them, uh, you know, the right to vote. Uh, but I'm, I'm frankly, I'm, I'm good with it. I'm not, I'm not really interested. I'm actually a lot more interested in being able to be sort of on a jury, uh, do jury duty. Um, but I'm, I'm just not, I'm just not playing that game with them. I've got a different strategy that I'm going to be pursuing to actually get rid of that felony so that I can then serve on a jury. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I decided not to play the paperwork game. So no, I cannot vote at this stage. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's important that people who don't have experience with people who've gone through the prison system, but like there's a lot of people who have no idea that once you have a felony that you can't vote unless you jump through all those hoops and like restore right. go through the effort to restore your own rights that were given to you as a citizen. And this is like yeah. I mean, you got out of jail what, two thousand five was the last uh, uh, it was actually two thousand three. Even further back. Yeah. 17 yeah. years in July. <laughs> yeah, and then like for, for that years. I've established that I'm not like a psycho killer by now, right? Yeah, but like, <laughs> like you were a psycho killer before with your nonviolence. Right. Yeah. Um, 
So, okay. So now what have you been up to in the last 17 years um, since you are a free man now? Yeah. So, well, you know, after, after dealing with that whole work release experience, uh, you know, I really kind of had to come to terms with the fact that, you know, I was going to run into a lot of the same nonsense if I stayed in Smallsville, not Smallsville, it was actually Watkins Glen, but you know what I mean? Um, So I started thinking like, where am I going to go? And I would have loved to have gone back to Buffalo, um, but you know, I didn't have a foothold there this time around like I did the last time because I had a drug offense. I was able to go to, and it was basically a halfway house, uh, which was great because, you know, what does that mean? No rent, no utilities. I mean, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time at Altamont House in Buffalo. Let me just say that for all of its flaws. Uh, but so I had a foothold in New York. I had some family in New York. So I came to New York. I chose to come to New York upon my release. And that was in, in 2003. And um, New York's been good to me. I'm, I'm pretty over the place at this point, but New York's been good to me. I, I almost immediately started dabbling in, uh, in acting and modeling, which, um, you know, what can I say that, you know, the culture really isn't for me. Uh, you know, the, well, whatever, let me just say that the culture really isn't for me. No judgments on anybody who it is for, but it wasn't really for me. Uh, but I did have a good time doing that, you know, a little bit of extra gigs here and, uh, you know, a little bit of role laying on the floor. And, uh, what was the name of that show? I think it was called third watch. Uh, you know, laying on the floor to rave, overdosing, you know, in that episode, fun stuff like that. Um, yeah, you're, never decided, like, you're never one to like sit still, look pretty. That's not your jam. <laughs> it's just not my jam. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are different things that weren't really my jam, but you know, it was cool. Like I enjoyed it while it was, but you know, I never, I didn't decide not to really try to pursue that heavily. Um, but uh, you know, what 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 I did really take to, and what kind of became really natural, like a, like fitting like a glove for me was. Uh, you know, personal training and martial arts training. Uh, I mean, I was into martial arts when I was younger. Um, one of the things that people don't tell you, well, I guess I'm sure some people do, but I'll tell you again, being in prison for an extended period of time, and I think anything over a year, honestly, counts as an extended period of time. Um, it really messes with your identity and your sense of self, especially if you're younger. You know, maybe if I'd been 40 when that happened, God forbid. But maybe if I'd been 40 when that happened, you know, it wouldn't have had such an effect. But uh, I can honestly say that, you know, I picked up some personality traits that weren't really true to me. And I forgot about certain things that really were true to me. Uh, but, you know, I was just taken out of that world for, for such a long period of time. It was about two and a half years. Um, and it took some time to get that back. Like, I remember one day I was watching The Matrix. And I was like, dang, this is a martial arts movie. How did I never notice that before? I used to love martial arts. What have I been doing? And so I started getting back into it. But, you know, you forget that. So you can't practice martial arts in prison. Let me tell you what. So, you know, that was just out the window. So anyway, come back to all of that stuff. And I started uh, working as a fitness trainer for um, the once fabulous David Barton gyms in New York. They're defunct now. But that was their glory days back in the early 2000s. And uh, it, look, it was great. I was in Chelsea, experiencing a totally different culture than what I was used to in upstate New York. And it was cool. Like, you know, it was, it was very, um, it was very eye-opening, you know, just to see how people can live radically differently. And it's fine. <laughs> you know, this was new to me, you know, a, a guy growing up in, in rural upstate New York uh, to experience those things. But um, I would say that was probably the first 
memorable chunk of time doing that for, for, you know, David Barton, uh, in Chelsea. Yeah. It was good. Didn't you come see me there once? I can't remember. Um, I didn't see you you in 2005, maybe 2006. Okay. I I just remember it was cold as hell. (laughs) Yeah. In the city, but it was so cold. Um, and yeah, we like toured around and like had all sorts of good times. Um, but I'm pretty sure that I came to see you after you um, got off parole, and I can't remember exactly when that was. That would have probably um, been about 2005. Yeah, yeah, sounds about right. Um, and I mean, I'm, it was really cool to be able to have this friendship that started as a relationship, but it was always kind of like underneath all of it, we were just going to be friends forever, um, no matter what happened. And so it was nice to be like, Oh, I need to get the hell out of here. I'm going to go see you in New York. We'll just like have fun for a weekend, um, and do our thing. Um, and you know, life shows up, life happens, things are crazy. Um, you keep living your life. I keep living my life. And at some point in, uh, the couple years after that, um, you wrote your first book and uh, I do remember writing you letters in prison and encouraging you to start writing some stories, which, um, that you did. It's all me like shoving you in that direction, but, uh, I'm, I'm glad that you actually did. And I, I can't believe that you wrote a freaking book before I wrote a book. <laughs> <laughs> Let alone that you've written I two mean, books. I definitely didn't see that coming either. Yeah. I just keep adding to my books. They're like 500,000 pages long now. <laughs> I know how that goes. Yeah. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about um, your two books and how how they came to be and um, sure. what, it, what it means to you to uh, become a published author um, and kind of a fitness guru and kind of to like bridge those two worlds. Because most people, I mean, like from the first day that I met you before we actually knew each other. You, you know, right. like fitness persona has this kind of like, you know, gym rat kind of bonehead type thing. And you're like, that's not me at all. I just look like this. Um, and I just love that you're just like, screw that. I'm going to break the stereotype and I'm going to be like published author and I'm going to do this. And this is like all of it, you know, that all of it is you. And I think that's great. Thank you, John. Well, look, I, I, you know, you mentioned the superhero thing at the beginning of our discussion. And I, and I really think that that is actually a valuable uh, model, actually, to tell you the truth, not to be funny. Um, you know, we look at some of the best, most inspiring superheroes, right? Like a, like a Batman or a Superman, uh, you know, or, or, or a Black Panther or a Captain America, right? Mm-hmm. They've got some things in common for all of their differences. Every single one of them pretty smart. Every single one of them. Arguably, Batman in his psychosis may be the smartest, but all of them smart, okay? All of them jacked. <laughs> all of them. So what's cool about that? Like, what's super about that? Well, I mean, look, you know, not that we all have to be the same, but if you can be physically strong, why not be physically strong? It'll make your laundry bag lighter. It'll make your kid lighter. It'll make you capable of defending your family. I mean, you know, there's no downside to being strong. Why, why not be well-informed and, and, you know, capable of like really thinking about issues and forming independent opinions? Why not? Why, why, why be a one-dimensional dum-dum, right? I mean, so 
you know, at some point, like yourself, I kind of was like, huh, you know what? I could, I could be kind of like a superhero. That'd be great. I, I think I want to do that. And so, um, so being that I like to read already, I wanted to see if I could, if I could write a book. I confess, I was interested in how much money I could make off of it. But I also wanted to see, you know, can I put together a good story that's, that's fun and readable and, and, and get it published? It was kind of like a personal challenge. And so, so I did, and I, I'll, I'll grab it real quick. Um, <clears throat> so I did, and I, I, I wrote this book, Long Night Moon. And um, oh, I mean, it's so good. This book is so good. It's so well, good. I, you know, thank you. I think it's pretty good. I mean, it's, it's definitely an original story. You, you've not read a story that flows quite like this, that's for sure. And, uh, but, you know, I didn't make a bunch of money off of it. I mean, you know, and it is what it is. It's fine. I'm very proud to have having, uh, uh, having written it. It was something that um, I knew that if I, if I didn't really go for it, it wasn't going to happen. And so I, I carved out time uh, when my son, as you know, I have a son who's 11 now. Uh, when my son was still uh, an infant and I knew there was very little I could do to help his mother out. You know, he, he was breastfeeding and sleeping and pooping. I mean, you know, I've changed the diapers, but you know, ain't a whole lot else for a man to do that first year. Right. So I decided to take that time and, and really get into, uh, and really get into writing the book. And, um, it, I learned an awful lot about myself, about the writing process. Um, I mean, it, it was it was really an educational experience, you know, because you you know go through the process yourself. Uh, I mean, you have to fight with yourself. You know, you you write things that you swear are great, and then you come back to it later, and you're like, actually, that just sucks. I need to take that out. But I really like it. I don't want to delete it. So you know, there, there's this interesting internal struggle that happens as you're as you're you know putting together something like that. Um, but yeah, really empowering to create something. You know, any, anybody out there who, who doesn't have something that they work on creatively, and I mean that in the literal sense, creating, I encourage you to get something. I don't really even care what it is um, because there's just something really special about creating something, whatever that is for you. Um, so anyway, that was my first one. That's the novel. And then the second one, because I got really passionate about health, you know, this, this is another aspect of that whole superhero thing. I was like, huh. It would be totally uncool to be like, all like, ah, in my thirties, and then I get, I get to fifty, and what, I'm gonna fall apart? Like, that's not a good look. So I started getting into learning about health and longevity, and and I mean, this look, Jonna, this opens up a can of worms that I know that you're that you're hip to at least to an extent. I mean, you know, now we start looking at what's the environmental impact, uh, what happens to these animals, you know, before they end up in the plastic package. You know what I mean? Like, what's happening to the dirt? What's happening to me? So, you know, that was educational. So I, I wanted to write a book about uh, health and nutrition. And so, uh, yeah, that was book number two. <laughs> so your, your second book, um, tell everybody the title. So it is called Five Things You Can Do Now. I think I have, give me, give me one second. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, we, we've got um, two different covers here. The ebook has one cover and that we haven't switched it over. Anyway, this is five things you can do now. And I actually uh, put this together with somebody else. But I, I mean, you know, if you know me and you read it, you'd be like, oh, that's him talking. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this was definitely a collaboration. But um, anyway, five things you can do now is, you know, is really a book about 
the simplest things that you can do to improve your health, pretty much no matter who you are. Uh, you know, there are some people that are going to be way beyond this and, and you know who you are. Um, but, but for the average individual, a change in your water consumption would probably benefit you. A change in your sleep habits would probably benefit you. Paying attention to certain things that are in the food or not in the food would probably benefit you. So, you know, just like I said, a few things that would have a big impact on the average individual. Uh, I think it's going to be really tough for us to see lasting positive change in society if we are not individually looking at ourselves and say, okay, am I in a state of mental and physical health? Because uh, I don't know about anybody else, but like when I'm feeling crappy, I'm behaving crappy. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I love this book because it's really accessible to people. Like it's not saying like, oh, get yourself healthy by getting a gym membership and like buying all these supplements and all this. Like it's it's none of that at all. It's like realistic, easy to implement things that you can do and be like, hey, if you never thought about how much water you're actually drinking all day long, think about it. Like somebody might've told you that like drinking nine cups of coffee counts the same as drinking nine glasses of water. I mean, drinking nine cups of coffee is better than drinking zero glasses of water, but it's not as good as drinking nine glasses of water. Um, and just little things like that, that, um, that make making small changes that you can then notice that they, um, kind of build on each other the same thing like you know then an object in motion remains in motion so like you start with the first chapter and you're like okay I'm gonna drink more water um, right and it's funny because like I don't read too many ebooks um but I happen to get that book as an ebook um and so I was reading through it and like reviewing it the other day and I was like oh yeah I can drink more water so I've actually been like actively filling up my water bottle more often because I was like rereading this awesome. book um, so I, and it's that uh, simple. Yeah. exactly. So there'll be links to that book. Um, the first book is currently being reformatted and has been removed from Amazon. Correct. Yeah. I, I took it off Amazon. All I can say is, you know, I got a little beef with Bezos, you know, I'm going to leave it at that, but yeah, I'm going to be putting it up on Smashwords, which is where the other one, five things you can do now is on Smashwords. I got to get it reformatted from the Kindle format uh, so that it can be up on Smashwords. Yeah. Cool. So the, the links to, to the, the second book and whenever it's ready, the links to the first book, I'll update it um, to get those up there. So you can go and check out the cool books. Um, so at the end of all of the podcasts, because we're getting a little close on time, I ask all of the guests the same five questions because I think it's really interesting to see everyone's different takes on the same question. So it's kind of... A little bit like a job interview. It's kind of fun. Um, but the first question is, tell me about an experience that shaped who you are today. Mm. Wow. Okay. I got one for you. And I know you know this one, but let's throw it out here because it's fun and it, and it definitely is an appropriate answer to your question. So once upon a time when I was 17, I decided, and mind you, this is in hyper rural upstate New York. I decided that it would be a good idea to hang out with a friend of mine and get blind drunk and then sit by the side of a road. Now I say a road, you know, people think of a road and they imagine cars and lights. talking about a road out in the middle of nowhere. There's a cow pasture over here and there's a cow pasture over there. I decided that it would be a good idea to hang out by the road with my friend and just drink ourselves stupid 
to the point where we both passed out in the road. The one car that came down that road all night long managed to run me over. And it broke my ankle and it took a chunk of skin out of the back of my other leg and stuff like that. It messed me up pretty good, but thank God, you know, no, nothing over my head or, you know, whatever the place may, you know, case may be. Long story short, how did that benefit me and what did that do for me and make me what I am? Well, it was an enormous wake-up call. Number one, you could be dead right now, so you should make every other day after this count for something. Number two, drinking a lot of alcohol is a guaranteed ticket to stupid events in life. It's going to look different depending on who you are. But for me, it looked like a pair of taillights moving off into the distance while I wake up in the road all busted up. So what I got out of that was don't drink yourself stupid. And I never have sin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also gave you six screws, two pins and a plate in your leg. That's right. You got it. Good memory. Protectors forever and ever. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Number two, when you feel defeated or overcome, what do you tell yourself to keep going? Well, that's a dang good question. Thank you. I don't feel that way very often, but if I think that back to the last major challenge that I had, which caused me to bump up against those feelings, I would say that it is my awareness of time that helps me to put it in perspective. And what I tell myself is, this too shall pass. Now, maybe not in those exact words, but that's what it boils down to. Um, you know, without getting into it, you know, I remember when I was dealing with a legal issue that was really challenging. Uh, you know, it occurred to me as I'm agonizing over all this, I was like, huh, one day, these lawyers, one day soon, actually, because they're old and not in very good condition. One day soon, these lawyers are going to be dead and I'm still going to be alive looking and sounding fabulous. So that put a smile on my face. And then, and then I also thought to myself, the thing that I'm concerned about losing, I'm not actually going to lose. I, I may have to do without it temporarily, but inevitably, I get that back. Mm -hmm. So I think that time, you know, recognizing that everything in time will pass, that's, that's what helps me to pull back from the brink. Yeah. Okay. So we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but... Tell me about a way that you overcame a failure or a mistake and what you learned from it. Total job. Well, yeah, I mean, I could come at that one a lot of different ways, but um, you know, I'll, I'll, let me, let me make a parenting example out of this. Um, you know, once upon a time I was, uh, I was, you know, asking my son to do something that was just a little bit beyond his abilities. And, um, but you know, he's a smart kid. I, sometimes I forget how old he was. This is a few years ago. I want to say he was eight at the time. But I think I had like 14-year-old expectations for him because he's so smart. He's also kind of a big kid for his age, too. And then I, you know, I, I kind of caught myself a couple of minutes after I'd gotten done being like, oh, uh, uh, and I was like, oh, man, this is, this is not, you know, this is not right. This is not fair. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm probably not making him feel very good right now. And there's no need for this. Like, hello, you forget that he's eight years old. So, uh, so look, I, I just immediately uh, recognized my mistake and I went to the person whom I had wronged, that being my, you know, at the time, eight-year-old son. 
and I just apologized to him. Like, you know what, man? I'm really, really sorry. Like, I screwed up that. I shouldn't have done that. I think I got that attitude from my father, and uh, I don't want to do that to you. So I'm sorry. This is where that comes from. Um, yeah. We'll talk about this later. So, you know, that's, that's one way where I go about, you know, trying to overcome, you know, imperfections, right? I do love that there's a little mini you running around there in the world. It's great. Well, hopefully wiser, but yes. <laughs> yes I, I definitely, I feel that um, having my oldest kid is like hella smart. Like, has always, since the minute he came out, like you could see it in his face that he like understood things that a newborn baby would not get. Like you can mm, tell. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely, there's a lot of times where I'm like, in my head, I have this inner dialogue that obviously I, you know, got from my parents. It's like, damn it, kid, like, why don't you get not to do that? Or why, why did you do that? And I'm like, ah, he's four. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. Expecting him to have like emotional intelligence and to be able to control his emotions in ways that most adults can't do. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Like he may be, he may know the names of like all the reptiles in the entire world, but like he doesn't have that emotional maturity and most people will probably never have that. And, um, so it's, it's definitely a good reminder to, uh, um, to give people, to give people more grace than we usually do. (laughs) Absolutely. No, well said. Absolutely. Number four, what one trait or habit is most responsible for keeping you on track? Mm. These are great questions, John. I'm glad you asked them to people. Seriously. Um, speaking for myself, I think that it is. I, I'm, look, I'm a man of principle. I'll do things that don't necessarily benefit me personally because I want to uphold a principle. Uh, you know, for better or for worse, you know, well, I see something going down on the subway. I mean, I remember one time, you know, this guy come through the, you know, where the train cars connect, you know, you walk through the door, he come through the train cars, had a penis out. And, and, you know, there was a, a woman and her kid, no joke. And there was a woman and her kid sitting there. She's like, Oh my God, I covered her kid. You know, I had to get involved. It obviously didn't benefit me in any way. I mean, that, you know, that's not really something that I want to deal with quite frankly, but it, it needed to be dealt with. And so, you know, so, anyway, so things like that, uh, you know, matters of principle. So I think that being principled and, and, and uh, being willing to uh, inconvenience myself or, you know, take a risk to uphold principles that I think are important, you know, such as law and order and decency, right? You know, just to reference that situation we were just talking about. Um, I think that really is one of the things because that desire to uphold principle and live in a principled manner keeps me from doing all kinds of things that I might otherwise do. Like, you know, I, I could be an evil genius, you know, like I have definitely mapped out how to rob this and kill that and do all of these different things in my younger years. And, uh, and you know, but I always came to a place where I was like, you can't do that. That would be so wrong. And, you know, so that's the end of it. So yeah, I think being principled is, is really what has kept me from crossing the line. Yep. <laughs> Time and again. <laughs> I love how different everyone's answers to this are. Because some people are like, oh, I make to-do lists every day. And you're like, I just make a conscious choice not to rob banks. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Oh, but you know what I mean? Not to be... 
not, not to be choppy to people. No, you know what I mean? Like, you're right. Rob Banks, absolutely. Let's not do that. And then all the way down here, like, let's not get on this person's case for being stupid. They may have been born that way. You know what I mean? Like, simple stuff. All full spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Number five, the last question. What's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? And what advice would you give other people? Wow. Oh my, that, that is a beast. That is a beast. Um, well, I, I could say that one of the best pieces of advice that I ever got was to, uh, you know, always be true to yourself. And I know that's not very original, but I think good advice is, you know, you tend to hear it in multiple places cause it's good advice, right? I think be true to yourself is really important. Um, you know, the things that I do uh, to make a living nowadays, if you, if you want to call it that, I mean, I do them because I want to do them. There's a lot of other things I could be doing just to make money, uh, but that's not how I want to operate. Because I, you know, I'm keenly aware that although I, I expect to live a long time, I, there's going to come a day where, you know, I'm done and I'll be fertilizer. And, and, uh, and I, I want the days between now and then to be lived on my terms. I think it's very important for people to be true to themselves. No one ever was laying on their deathbed like, oh God, I should have spent more time at the office. That has never happened. You know what I mean? So make sure that you're living life on your terms. I think it's super duper important. Whatever that means for you. Uh, and then advice that I would give to people outside of that, honestly, learn law. And what I mean is not become a lawyer, learn about law, learn about common law, Learn about American jurisprudence. Uh, you know, learn how to read and understand these different documents. Learn the words involved. You know, I, I love this country. It's not a democracy. It was never supposed to be a democracy. It's a republic. It's a republic. I know that we hear everyone on television using the word democracy, but I promise it's a republic. So, you know, little things that we just don't know. This is how, over the course of decades, we get to a place where the authorities from the police to the president are doing their own thing. And we don't even know how to straighten it out because we don't know what straight is in terms of law. So that would be my advice. Learn law. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for being on my podcast. Um, It's been an honor. See see you virtually in person. Um, since we do live far apart and the world is insane and it's not like there's a whole lot of like traveling around and hanging out with people these days. Um, but, uh, thank you all for, for watching slash listening to the reach the stars podcast. Um, definitely check out the show notes, go and buy Lionel's book. Um, and if you are in New York city and you are looking for personal training, um, and general ass kicking in, in general, you should, you should check out his website. It will be up in, uh, in the show notes. Um, and if you like the podcast, give us a review, share with a friend, back us on Patreon. We have a really cool, um, community on Facebook for all of the guests and the patrons and for me to kind of communicate with each other and share ideas and, uh, and network together. So, um, if you want to be in on that, you've got to be a patron and, uh, it's only $3 a month to start being a patron. And, um, I really hope that what uh, we're doing here is uh, special and magical and, and worth $3 a month. So, um, Thank you all for being here, and uh, we will see you next time. (laughs) Bye. A single interaction has the power to change your life forever. This is a place for the stories of those moments. Stories of pursuing dreams, 
overcoming tragedy and failure, of coming back to life after so much of what feels like dying, of continuing on with only a vision as a map. This is the place where those moments live on. Come sit by the fire, look up at the stars, and be forever changed too. Thank you for being with us on the Reach the Stars podcast. Our theme music is generously provided by Byrocratic. You can find him on Bandcamp.com. Thank you to all of our current patrons, guests, and everyone else who helps make this dream a reality. We are so proud to be building this amazing community with all of you. If you love this podcast, please consider sharing with a friend, leaving a review on iTunes, and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash reach the stars. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the videos of these conversations. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, do something cool and tell us about it. <laughs> <laughs>